Hey everybody, welcome to the green room of Disrupt TV. Today's National Donut Day, if you're not falling around. So we're going to be asking our guests what their favorite donut is, and more importantly, where they're coming in from, what they're talking about today. Uh, we usually do this in reverse order, but here with my amazing producer, Elle Froze, and of course, our amazing co-host and co-founder of Disrupt TV, uh, Bala Afshar. So let's go in reverse order. I'm going to ask you where we're coming in from, what are we talking about today? So Maura, what are we talking about today? And of course, your favorite donut. Well, my favorite donut is a Boston cream uh, because, see, I got it, I got it. Um, I live right outside Boston, Massachusetts. In fact, Vala and I are probably within like a 20 minute walk of each other at this point. Um, <laughs> and I'm going to be talking about anxiety and leadership today. Awesome. Wow. Very, very hot topic. And we look forward to hearing more about that. Priya, where are we coming in from? What are we talking about today? And your favorite donut. Uh, I'm 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 coming in from Boston as well. So we have three people from around the from around the locality. I we're going to talk about work, life, everything in between, and what it means for employers and employees. I actually am not a big fan of donuts. The notion of fried bread with sugar is not my thing. But if I had to pick a poison, it would be a Boston cream donut as well. Oh, nice! There you go. There you go. <laughs> All right. Tiffany, where are you coming in from? What are we talking about today? Uh, I am dialing in not from Boston. I am in <laughs> Los Angeles, California. Uh, we're going to be talking about a book that I've got coming out in four days called The Experience Mindset. And my favorite donut is a malasada, which is a Portuguese donut, better known for being one of the favorites in Hawaii, which is where I'm from. Love it. Ah, yes. Malasada is amazing. <laughs> Those are amazing. All right. Well, very cool. We'll turn it back to you to Elle. We'll kick off the show and uh, see you all there. Okay. Three, two, one. Welcome. Thank you for joining us on Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar. I'm the Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Send Ray, myself, our distinguished guests, your questions live using hashtag Disrupt TV. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host. Uh, he's the CEO and founder of Constellation Research, Ray Wong. He's the best-selling author of Everybody Wants to Rule the World. I see him on TV just about every day, whether it's Fox Business, Yahoo Finance, Bloomberg, CNBC. He's one of the top futurists to follow on Twitter at RWANG0. Welcome, Ray Wong, to Disrupt TV. 
Hey, thanks a lot. I'm here with my awesome co-host, Bala Afshar, the Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce. He's also the author of The Pursuit of Social Business Excellence, but he's got a new book coming out called Boundless that's going to be out here in September. So executives around the world, pay attention to every one of his inspirational and insightful tweets. And more importantly, when he's not hosting, keynoting, or giving events and leading events at Salesforce, you can find him speaking on business TV outlets such as Bloomberg and, of course, posting awesome analyses on ZDNet. So, But it's not about us. It's about our amazing guests. And of course, who do we have back again on Disrupt TV? Ray, we have our thinking partner back on Disrupt TV. <laughs> Tiffany Bova is global customer growth and innovation evangelist at Salesforce, a company that I love, and Wall Street Journal <laughs> bestselling author of Growth IQ. Now, Tiffany's new book that's coming out next Tuesday is The Experience Mindset, Changing wow. the Way You Think About Growth. The book is available for pre-order now and is sure to be a best-selling book when it comes out next week. Over the past two decades, so Tiffany started when she was about 11, Tiffany has led large revenue-producing divisions at businesses ranging from startups to Fortune 100. As a research fellow at Gartner, Tiffany's cutting-edge insights actually help Fortune 100 companies expand their market share and grow their revenues. Tiffany has been named on the top 50 business thinkers by Thinkers 50 twice. And surely with this work, it's going to be an ongoing uh, visibility on that list. Uh, Tiffany's also uh, a host of a podcast, What's Next with Tiffany Bova, and a great follow on Twitter at Tiffany underscore Bova, B-O-V-A. Welcome back, Tiffany, and congratulations on the new book. Thank you, guys. It's wonderful to be here with you, two of my favorite people, so I can't wait. Oh, awesome. Hey, we're so excited to have you here. You've been talking about customer experience. You've been talking about leadership. You've been talking about improving revenue. Those are top topics for you. But there's an interesting point uh, you mentioned here. Customer experience and this overemphasis on customer experience is contributing to the great resignation, quite quitting, and other workplace trends. Wait, what's going on? Why is it keeping leaders up at night? Look, I, you know, I feel a little bit uh, like I contributed to what we're experiencing in, in many ways, because when I was an analyst at, at Gartner many years ago, I was part of the team that made the prediction that the chief marketing officer would spend more on tech than the chief information officer. We said that in 2008, everyone thought we were crazy, but lo and behold, Salesforce and others went out and bought marketing technology stack uh, companies, right, in order to solve that that budget that we knew that they were going to go after, but it wasn't about the tech. It was about, we knew customer experience was going to become this next battleground. And so I've spent, you know, more than 10 years, almost 15 talking about the power of customer experience. As Paula mentioned in my first book, Growth IQ, it was the very first chapter in the book, but I missed employee experience. I didn't miss it totally, but let's just say I missed it. Look at you I, fessing yeah, up to missing yeah, something. I missed <laughs> That's it. That's awesome. I totally missed it. That's why you're a fellow. Because you reflect on everything that you do. Sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. And, and so the very first chapter, I, I, I briefly mentioned employee experience. But then, you know, as Vala and I both worked for Salesforce, I was standing on stage one day here and I said, I didn't think it was a coincidence. Salesforce is a great place to work on pretty much every list. It's one of the most innovative companies in the world. And it's the fastest growing enterprise software company. Huh. True statements, but could I prove that the happy employee led to happier customer, led to growth? So it put me down this two-year journey, uh, and through it, we learned that, yes, in fact, uh, it does. And uh, the trick here is that 
it starts with employee experience. So to your point, Ray, and to the question, the great resignation and quiet quitting is a reflection of the lack of investments we've been making for employees for the last few decades. You have tremendous wow. charts and graphs in your books and some bold research findings in terms of the multiplier effect in terms of company growth when you actually believe that it's not fair to think that customers are going to love your company before your employees do. So can you talk about the multiplier effect and some of the, you know, really, really, uh, I'm not going to say shocking out, but surprising uh, uh, output of the research that you led? Yeah, it was Salesforce-driven research. We did three separate research projects. The first one we did was US only. And what we found in that one was companies that focused on customer experience saw a lift in the satisfaction of its employees by 1.3 times. When we found companies that focused exclusively or predominantly on employee experience, we saw a lift in client, uh, client satisfaction went up about 1.4. When we saw companies that did both and did both really well, it was a 1.8 times improvement. So for a billion dollar brand, it was a $40 million impact. So wow. we could clearly start to show this causal effect. And I put causal in air quotes, because if I say that to someone who's really an academic, they're going to jump in on why that isn't true. But we were able to loosely tie those two things together, which then led us to the second research, which we did with Edelman, and we did a global study. Um, and within that, we tucked in a, a research project in partnership with Columbia, Stanford, and a group called Talent Tech for a Just US... quite a tuck in there. Yeah, it was a tuck yeah, in yeah. there. Yeah, too it small. A couple <laughs> unknown universities there. You know. yeah, yeah. But, but what we did was it was a retailer that had a thousand stores in the US. I don't know who it was. Wow. It was a blind study, but you can guess there's only a handful. And when those retailers uh, started focusing on a few aspects of employee experience specifically, they saw a 50-50% increase in revenue per hour per head store employee. Wow. Those are significant numbers. And so sharing that around the world, people would go, well, wait a minute, what? Like, Because they want to know, wait, how much improvement are we going to get? And the second thing right behind that, once I start sharing this, if it's so obvious and the return is so good, why isn't everyone doing it? Yeah, no, that's a great point, right? And, you know, I mean, if you look at retailers that have a thousand stores, I mean, those are pretty big retailers. Uh, and, and one of the statements that you talk about that's kind of important here is, is really that culture, workplace culture and growth goals have to go hand in hand. Uh, can you elaborate a little bit more, more on that as to, right, why, why, one, why do people keep them separately, right? Uh, and two, like, what's bringing them together, right? What's, what's the force that brings them together so that people can actually see that higher goal? Yeah, and, it, and I think this goes back to, you know, as I did in my first book, I, I am a, a student of my profession. So I try not to reinvent the wheel. I try to modernize the wheels that are already out there. And one of the, you know, theories and frameworks, PPT, right, people process technology from the 60s, from Theodore Leavitt. I wanted to extend that because I think that culture is one that was missing. So it's like people process tech and culture. So I extended that a little bit. And to mm -hmm. your point, uh, Ray, there's a difference between people and culture. Culture My, is that, different. yeah, they're very different, right? If you have a culture of running a call center as a cost center, that's a very different culture than you run a call center as a customer success engine, right? Yeah. Those are two different approaches. And 
if you have a culture that views it as one or the other, the decisions you make will be very different that have impact on people, process, and tech. So that kind of anchoring framework really allowed me to be able to share with executives and companies that culture is more about what do you think about investing in your talent? Do you have a strategy around it? You know, are you just promoting people who don't know how to manage? You know, are you giving people a feedback loop and a way to say this isn't working or it is working? Those are very cultural approaches that may make some leaders feel uncomfortable, but highly important if you're trying to improve uh, recruiting and retaining talent today. Sure. What was it? The old rule? You never, you never promote your best workers to managers. Like, why would you do that? <laughs> yeah. Or you, you actually don't listen to your workers. Like it's crazy. Oh, well, why would you, why would you do that? Why would kidding. you do that? Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned, uh, uh, acquiring talent and retaining talent, but are there other metrics that company leaders can use to actually score employee experience? Do, do companies use Net promoter score internally. How do they? How do you? How do you advise clients to better understand um, employee experience? Yeah, I start with the basics. I usually will ask companies or leaders. I will say, please tell me your top five customer experience metrics that you track. And to your point, Vala, it's usually net promoter score, customer satisfaction, things like that. And then I say, tell me the correlating metric or KPI you do for employees. So if you have NPS. Do you use ENPS? Yeah. If you have customer satisfaction, do you have an employee satisfaction score? If you have a customer effort score, do you have an employee effort score, et cetera? And Great. very quickly, they realize back to kind of the original thing Ray said in this entire conversation was this, this over pivot to customer is that they have this very robust and mature mechanism to track customer experience. And by the way, it's usually tied to executive compensation. Yeah. Yet they don't have the same thing on employee. And so this imbalance means that at the end of the day, the research showed that it, uh, executives will tell employees it's about the customer above all else. And employee gets kind of that second rung of attention. Now, mind you, this isn't about equal balance, 50-50. It's yeah. about making sure we give more attention in a more intentional and thoughtful way that if you do something for the customer, what is the intended or unintended consequence on the employee? Yeah. You know, we've spent billions of dollars on technology, as Ray knows, you know, on customer experience and journey mapping and all of that. But we haven't done it for employees. Have you journey mapped your employees on onboarding or opening right. a ticket, closing a ticket, placing an order? I was with a customer the other day in Canada, and they told me it was 20 minutes for a call center agent to do a return. 20 minutes. And, and I go, would you ever make a customer spend 20 minutes to do a return online? Absolutely not. But you make your employee do it every day, all day. So that kind of disconnection between effort and experience has really shed a light on why the great resignation and quiet quitting has been happening. Employees are frustrated. Employees are definitely frustrated, and, and we've seen that a lot. Uh, we work with a lot of experience, uh, employee experience companies in the space. Uh, people used to look at it from the HR point of view, but but now that we're looking at it from the employee processes, it's a very, very different approach. Uh, and this means taking a people-centric approach, but I mean, you have a case study in there with Best Buy talking about how even in a bad economic situation or turn, turn uh, you know a downturn, right, companies are figuring out ways to actually create a turnaround by focusing on play experience. And if we go back 
back to way, way back. I, I think there was a guy named Vinit Nair in 2010. He talked about employees first, customer second, right? And at that point, that was kind of like radical, like, hey, what are you talking about, right? Uh, all those things have been adding up. So talk about the Best Buy turnaround and what you guys discovered there and how being people-centric actually worked because it might sound counterintuitive to some managers today. Yeah, but you nailed it when you said, Ray, employee first, customer second, customer first, employee second. Mm -hmm. That mentality, which is why I called the book The Experience Mindset specifically, and it was through a conversation with Liz Wiseman, who I know you've had on the had on yeah. the show, um, oh, is yeah. it isn't fighting and battling for budget, people, headcount, power. <laughs> That's that first second conversation. The mindset no. has to be a shift that if you do something for a customer, what is the implication to employee? If you do yes. something for an employee, what is the implication to customer? So not a first second battle. And by the way, also not, I'm not advocating for a new chief employee experience officer at the executive table, because okay. then that means that's that power, people, budget, control <laughs> conversation. <laughs> Which I'm, I'm smiling only because that, that holistic approach is important, right? And, and and the other one we should tackle in your next book is procurement. Good grief. <laughs> it can't yeah. be even worse. Procurement is like probably like would be up there. Yeah, so. I would. I'm going to leave procurement to the analysts. Have at yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Have at well, it. Thanks. Have yeah. At yeah. It. yeah. Leave us with the hard stuff. Yeah. No, I was kidding. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I'd say that if we can make it a mindset shift, um, then, then you really have a shot for, and by the way, the team of executives that need to focus in on this would be HR for obvious reasons, mm. but yeah. IT, the biggest disconnect between what executives thinks is, think is happening and what employees think is happening is happening in tech. Example, 52% of the C-suite thinks the technology they've deployed is effective. 52, which means 48% think it isn't effective, which for another day, 32% <laughs> of the employees agree with that statement. 32% of employees think the tech they're using is effective. Okay. Wow. What is this, this trick question? How effective is your marketing spend? <laughs> yeah, but wait, hold on. It gets better. Big disconnect. It gets, it gets better. But only 20% of customer-facing employees agree that the wow. technology they're using is effective wow, to help them and collaborate. Wow. That means like teaming, right? CRM tools, marketing tools, customer service tools, right? All that customer-facing which is that intersection between employee and customer, employees in those uh, customer-facing roles are really struggling with the tech. And I think a lot of that has to do with the executives not actually using the technology they're deploying for their customer-facing uh, employees. Uh, you know, they look at the spreadsheet or the roll-up and they're not sitting in the call center and doing marketing campaigns and going on sales calls. So, you know, I think that there's a ton of opportunity here, uh, you know, not only because of where Vala and I work, but just because the research showed that outdated tech, disconnected groups, outdated processes, lack of integration of data is slowing down employees for do it, from doing their job. Uh, what, a, what a significant disconnect. 50% executives think it's effective. Frontline employees think it's 20. That's a 30-point gap. That's a major blind spot that senior leaders have. And ultimately, I think what you're saying is drink your own champagne and do it at all levels. Like use the stuff and walk in the shoe of your front-facing employees and determine all the unnecessary process friction and hierarchy and things that you can remove, remove the clutter to create a more seamless experience. My last question to you, so much in this book. I mean, it's, it's, it's an incredibly robust playbook. Where do you start? Like, okay, I, 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 you're in front of CEOs all the time and they tell you, all right, Tiffany, you got me. I agree with you 100%. <laughs> 
uh, on theory, I think everything you say is perfect. How do I start? Like what yep. advice do you have for business leaders? Yeah. I say three things. One, back to that KPI list, right? List out right. customer and employee and figure that start there. Second thing I'd say, ask your employees. Now, the other thing we found, mm -hmm. all, while that says most executives that might be listening to this will go, well, of course, we survey our employees every quarter, every, twice a year, every year. 87% of companies and executives do nothing with that data. So you might be wow. saying- Wow, breaking news. <laughs> wow. So nine out of 10 leaders, when they get this employee surveys, do nothing with it. Correct. That's yeah, stunning. That's brutal. That is brutal. That's and then the third here. would be, you know, uh, you know, obviously um, start thinking about uh, how you could put a team together of your frontline employees to get that understanding of where things are broken initially. You could do those three things super quickly, not multi-year, not million-dollar projects, very simply. Wow. We are here with Tiffany Bova, best-selling author, global growth evangelist at Salesforce, but more importantly, getting a sneak preview into the experience mindset, changing the way you think about growth. It's available June 6, 2023, anywhere where books are sold. So make sure you grab your copy early while you can. So congratulations, Tiffany. Thank, Thank you guys you, for always supporting me. I appreciate you. Cheers. Thank you. Right. Thank you for expanding our minds. Thank you. Nine out of 10 executives ignore employee surveys. That's uh, wow, what are we talking about? What's, what's, what's as, wrong? What's going on here? As a former executive practitioner, I feel like, wow, wow. Okay. Our next guest, Ray, buckle up your seat belts and get your popcorn ready. Uh, Priya right. Krishnan is the Chief Digital and Transformation Officer at Bright Horizons. Bright Horizons' ongoing mission is to change the way the world works by offering childcare, elderly care, for education and careers, tools used for, by more than 1,000 of the world's top employers uh, that power the world's best brands. Uh, now, Priya has a storied background as an entrepreneur. Priya joined Bright Horizons family after founding and running Clay, a school for children from marginalized backgrounds, which has grown to become India's largest childcare schooling service provider. Uh, last time I checked, India was the most populated country on earth, and Priya created the largest daycare for the largest population on earth. Uh, Priya initially started the business with the intent to enabling women to return to work after childbirth. Priya won numerous entrepreneurship recognition awards as her startup school expanded to 150 company-owned, company-operated centers around the country, staffed and empowered employees taking care of more than 11,000 children. Prior to her entrepreneurial stint, Priya had a global career in IT consulting across uh, Singapore, New York, London, working across you know, small companies like Accenture, PwC, HP. <laughs> Priya serves uh, on the advisory board of London Business School in addition to managing a trust for school dedicated to children from marginalized background in India. Welcome Priya to Disrupt TV. Thank you so much. Sure, you had to cut your bio short. We only have 20 minutes, you know. <laughs> wow, you've done a lot. Okay, it's good, Ray. Hey, we're really excited to have you here. Uh, you just noticed how we talked about employee experience and what's happening with the new ex employee experience mindset. But but you've been talking about work-life balance for quite some time and actually coming up with solutions there. Where are we in the world of work-life balance, especially given where we are in this post-pandemic work environment where it's kind of in the office, kind of not in the office, we're kind of working, but we're kind of actually not working. It's, we're it's working, right? We're working hard. <laughs> are, are we working? Like, I can't tell. I'm having so much fun on the show, so. <laughs> No, so it was really interesting for me to hear, you know, 
Tiffany's conversation because my mantra when I ran uh, my childcare business, and I think it's it's ours at Bright Horizons as well, is you know if you have happy employees, you have happy children, and if you have happy children, you have happy parents, and then in turn happy employers. So it was a very employee first mindset, and you know in a services business, I'm just sort of thinking about you know at the end of the day, it is we are in the service off others and not having an employee mindset it was shocking for me some of the statistics that she she played out i to answer your question ray i don't think there is you know the notion of work life balance you know and that's part of the reason i, I sort of talk about it as a work life equation and uh, yes you yes. have to find this equation between work and life there are days you know if i'm sitting and i have to prep for a board meeting it just means switching off from home and going through a 10 hour work day and not feeling guilty about it and the days that i have to take the boys on their college tours you know it is about saying i'm switching off from work so it is it's a little bit less about balance and you know finding that equation that works for you which is easier said than done um and i think you know through the pandemic we've all learned we bent from living at work yeah you know, we can talk about it as working from home we actually lived at work and then somehow we've we're slowly making the transition to working from home um and this is this is going to be an ongoing thing for employees and certainly something that employers need to pay attention to as hybrid's going to be the way of the world right so for sure uh, so Ray and I are not the only two that have podcasts. You have an amazing podcast, yes. and you recently had an incredible interview uh, with uh, Indra Noe, former CEO of PepsiCo, and someone who's consistently ranked as one of the world's 100 most influential, powerful women in business. And uh, Ms. Noe spoke about juggling uh, responsibility as a mother and, and CEO while navigating, I think she said, uh, conflicting demands of power and humility. And, uh, and you said when you were interviewing her, you need to be personally anchored in order to be professionally successful. I thought that was just wisdom nuggets raining down. Uh, it was awesome. So can, can you talk a little bit about advice you give as a mentor and sponsor to you know folks that are early in their career in terms of aspiring to achieve the level of success that you have but also making sure that there's balance in their life. Yeah, so the you know the uh, the notion of being personally anchored is you know, and it it extends beyond work, right? The fact that if you're happy with yourself, yeah, you can you can love others, you can care for others. Uh, all of that extends from stemming from saying how do you find your personal anchor before you try to do other things, and yeah. that is something I think as you know, people enter the workforce. I, I have this belief, Ala, that nobody gives us a handbook for the three most important events in our life. When you enter the workforce, when you get married, and when you have children, That's or so you right. choose a partner, right? So uh, the, the reality is these are the most stress-inducing periods of your life, and you really don't have a way to navigate um, how do you actually find the equation. When you're entering the workforce, perhaps you have the ability to over-index, but once you have a family and your definition of a family could be very different. At one stage, it could be children. For a lot of people, it's their pets. It could be elders in the family. How do you actually say, you know, if I'm not at peace at what's going on at home, uh, how can I possibly be okay at work? Because a part of your mind is still sort of, you know, 
functioning at saying how, you know, is everything okay? And I, I say this as a bum all the time, uh, mm-hmm. that, you know, if I don't, if my, my joy comes from knowing that I am a successful mom before I'm a successful entrepreneur or a successful professional. But that recognition of self is very critical and sort of playing to that personal anchor is very important. And awesome. I could be different from you and could be different from Ryan. Right? No, so- I, think, I think you have your priorities straight. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> Go ahead, Ray. <laughs> hey, I mean, but but it's a good point here, right? I mean, uh, that family notion of family care and and how we actually support employees at all stages of life that keeps popping up, right? And a lot a lot of people have been looking at what benefits should people be offering, or how do we restructure our benefits to kind of match what employees are looking for? Um, give us some examples of what what people can do, because you know some of us are in sandwich generation, right? Some of us are at the beginning at that stage. Some of us, you know, are, are towards the end and looking at retirement. And 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 there are different types of benefits that actually help bring and attract different types of workers. Yeah, and we sit today in a world where most organizations uh, have five generations of a workforce, right? So it's not a one size fits all. Uh, And to your point, there are people who have different needs. Um, The question is, you know, we we all focused on mental health and well-being, but this goes back to my earlier point of saying, if you're focusing on mental health and well-being, uh, can we go back to the root cause of what is causing the mental angst or, you know, that lack of well-being? And a lot of it stems from the fact that people are juggling way too many things mm-hmm. and care is a big part of that conundrum. And that's really, you know, that's part of the reason I've dedicated my life to evangelizing this with, with organizations saying this is something you have to think about and think about benefits not as a one size fits all think about it as a range of services it's very encouraging for me that employers come along on that journey uh, you know they do think about uh, how to support families who have children families who have elders and what is now today um, a large part of the workforce millennials and gen z's who perhaps don't have children but have very different needs uh, and you know, they might, like I said, they might think of a pet as their family. And it's incredible the number of employers who stepped up and said, yes, sure, if that's your definition of family, we'll provide care for what is important to you. That's, that's, you've also dedicated uh, much of your career to improving as a leader and helping others improve their leadership skills. Uh, You wrote a beautiful LinkedIn article about leadership in the PERMA crisis. Uh, and you said uh, the most inspiring actions involve role modeling as well as teaching. When my words are congruent with my actions, I become a role model for others. As I share my vision, I teach what's important to me, what I think matters in the big picture. And then you talked about teaching. You said teaching in this way creates intrinsic desire to upskill as a leader by presenting my authentic self, my vulnerabilities, my areas of growth. I don't need to mandate upskilling because I've created condition for individuals to want to do it on their own. Can you talk to our audience in, in terms of the importance of and the power of intrinsic motivation? Why leadership should really cultivate that mindset in order for people to want to continuously improve? So, you know, as I think uh, as an entrepreneur, one of the uh, things that you focus on is inculcating the notion of an owner's mindset mm. in in your team right saying if this was and it's a simple philosophy of saying if this was your money 
would you spend it the exact same way that you're proposing we spend it on behalf of the organization? How do you do it consistently? And that sits in the realm of saying, how do you create intrinsic motivation? How do you think about this as if this was something that I had to take an individual decision on, uh, how would I think, uh, how, would I do have the exact same action? And is there congruence in your personal value system to you know the actions that you display? And I think intrinsic motivation is really what you can keep um, talking about people, there are lots of people. I, I have two children, one who's incredibly intrinsically motivated and one who responds beautifully to extrinsic motivation. So the way he responds to teachers is fascinating for me because if he has a great teacher, he does incredibly well. But if he doesn't, you know, he would not. And the other one's like, oh, you know, if I can't find it within myself, I won't compete in a race where I won't come in the top three. So the the, no, it, it is again the notion of an equation and a balance. But when you when things come from within you and you can trigger that, all of this go back goes back to the personal anchoring, personal value systems. Is how do you say that this is something that I truly believe in? Because that's the most optimized zone of productivity for employees. Uh, is when they feel like I do this because I care. I do this because I believe. I do this because I want to, as against feeling like it's a job. I love that. Optimized zone doesn't require sticks and carrots and external, you know, forces <laughs> motivating you. Gotta come here. Gotta come from here. It comes from here and here. Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. Yeah, I love that. Optimized zone. I love that. Go ahead, Ray. <laughs> well, hey, one of the things that you also wrote about in the past was really about the changing role of fathers. Right. That's not something we normally talk about and how fathers are playing different roles, uh, you know, given the workplace dynamics changes as well uh, in terms of what people are expecting. Uh, what, what advice do you have to the modern day father? What should they be doing? Is trust your instinct. The dishes. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. The dishes. How do you do this, man? Come on. No, no, no. I'm saying the Yeah, yeah. The dishes. Uh, that's what I, my girls always remind me. Uh, Dad, your turn to do dishes. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I, I was just saying that I, I think we've, we've all forgotten good old instincts when it comes to parenting. <laughs> and I think others should lean into instincts, right? We all parent by Google. We parent by peer group. We parent by benchmarks. Whereas, you know, we were all, we became parents and there is a, a genome factor here. And I think leaning into that is critical. And asking um, your, you know, your partner for where they need support. Instead of taking a task from soup to nuts. So if you say I'm doing the dishes, like it's everything associated with doing the dishes and not turning up and doing the dishes at dinner. It's buying the dishwasher. <laughs> it's, you know, ensuring the tablets are there, all yeah, of those know. aspects. And then I think role modeling is very important. From, you know, I have two boys. And if we had stereotypical roles, our boys will grow up to believe that is, you know, that's the role of a mom and that's the role of a dad. Right, right. So constantly changing that up to say, I, my, da, my husband's a fantastic cook, but I grew up in an Indian household where only women cooked. And, you know, today they walk away into the world believing that, you know, boys can be fantastic cooks and will be hopefully good partners to whoever they choose. But that is very important. I think fathers role modeling and participating because, you know, in the Indra episode, she talks about it and I totally related to it, Vala, that when if I had gotten my boys to ride a bike, I would have done the two trainer wheels. <laughs> taken one off and taken a whole month to train them and 
my husband took them out in the first 10 minutes. He came back saying, okay, he's riding. And then I said, this is crazy. We did the exact same thing with the other one. So as fathers, risk-taking abilities are very different from moms. And that's a great yeah, lesson. Just throw it out there. Yeah, just throw it out <laughs> I, I, I love to, uh, podcast, uh, your podcast. And I love Andrew talking about, uh, she was so like uh, humble. Like I won the life lottery and she gave so much praise to her family and her ecosystem that surrounds her. Uh, you know, um, a beautiful interview. So highly recommend our, our audience to to watch your podcast and you have incredible guests. Um, so family care is emerging as an incredibly sought after benefit. And you're the top technologist at Bright Horizon. I mean, you're defining the digital transformation roadmap and you're doing it in a very purposeful way uh, to ensure shared success amongst all stakeholders, not just employees of Bright Horizon, but certainly your customers and your partners. Can you tell us about how you think about technology as an enabler to ensure that family care achieves its full potential of delighting your your your, your clients? Uh, I think technology has like an all pervasive view or a role in in what we do today for three reasons. One is, you know, it's a highly fragmented industry. Uh, and a big part of it today, as one of the world's largest care providers, uh, the role that we play is that we get employers, provide access to their employees to care that we consolidate on behalf of them, right? So this notion of how do you create a unified experience, you know, technology has an important role, especially when you have a fragmented supply base, right? Uh, but more importantly, you know, this is the most prized asset that a family has, your, your child, yep. uh, your pet, whatever is the definition of your cared one, your loved one, your parents, they want to know pretty much everything around that, that experience. And how can you use technology to, again, both stay in touch, stay connected. Um, but it extends itself to saying, you know, if, there are two parents, two siblings who are looking after next. How do you do care plans between them? And mm -hmm. I think technology has this amazing ability where all of us were, you know, you're doing this over phone calls, etc. Can you in integrate what the hospital is saying, what the caregiver is saying, what the family thinks, all into a singular platform? And that, I think, takes away and alleviates the mental load that we've been talking about. It is, you know, this cognitive load that we have is one aspect, but then just the, you know, associated guilt with <laughs> looking after and not doing a good job. I think alleviation of that guilt is what technology helps with. Darn, the guilt, the guilt Ray is back. and I are very with familiar that? with that guilt. It's good guilt. Yeah, I'm proud of the fact that my parents lived with my family. And that was a deliberate decision. And, and I married up, which means I had permission to invite my folks to live with us. Uh, and, and I love it. It's the, I think it's, the, you know, you can never repay your parents. I, I, at least I don't feel like I can never repay for the sacrifices no. they've made. But the fact that they live with us is, is pretty amazing. And so I, I'm, I'm super proud of that decision we made together. So go ahead, Rick. Sorry. <laughs> no, this has been wonderful getting an idea of where the future of work's headed. Priya, this is amazing. We're with Priya Krishnan, Chief Digital Officer for Bright Horizons. And we're getting some amazing insights on the future of work and work-life balance. And more importantly, where we could all evolve towards. So thanks a lot for being on the show. Happy Thank Friday. you so much. Thank Cheers. you. Cheers.
Priya is awesome. Uh, really, wow. really incredible technologist, but with incredible business acumen. Um, okay, if you are familiar with baseball, this is where we have the cleanup hitter spot where a, an extraordinary guest comes to the plate, it's a grand slam. And, uh, and so with that, uh, our, our next guest is Mara Ahrens Millie, author of The Anxious Achiever. I can't wait to learn more about this. Mara is the host of The Anxious Achiever podcast for LinkedIn oh, yeah. Presents, which was uh, a Webby Award honoree and in the top 50 business podcasts and 10 management podcasts. Ray, you and I aspire to get to where Mara is. So yeah, I'm just we, letting, we, we gotta letting, do something about our yeah. show. <laughs> Absolutely. Mara is the author of The Anxious Achiever, Turn Your Biggest Fears into Your Leadership Superpower. Mara's first book, Hiding in the Bathroom, How to Get Out There, parentheses, when you rather stay home, is an Amazon bestseller and available in five languages. Mara is an expert in marketing and unique understanding of online communities and digital first strategic communications. In fact, Mara helped Hillary Clinton log on for her first internet chat and launch wow. digital campaigns for four presidential candidates. And Mala Yousafzai, the United Nations, and many other leading figures and organizations. Uh, Mara writes for all the major publications, even more so than Ray's contribution. You found someone that writes for every major pub. Mara founded the marketing agency Woman Online and its influencer database, The Mission List, in 2011, which she sold in 2021. But at one point, Woman Online worked for the world's largest NGO, U.S. largest financial corporation, U.S. largest advocacy organization, largest foundation in the U.S., and America's largest non-profit organization. You can follow Mara on Twitter. Must have been an early adopter. M-O-R-R-A-A-M. Welcome, Mara, to Disrupt TV. Sorry, I had to cut your bio short as well. <laughs> Sorry, you're on mute. Sorry. You're... <laughs> I'm on mute. I'm so sorry. I've been I've been listening and learning so much from your guests. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. So hey, we're happy to have you here. Um, and you start a very important topic that you you bring up with the difference between fear and anxiety. Uh, are they the same? Are they different? I think sometimes we mix those words, uh, and and they might be different. But what do you say? We do, and I'm going to add another one, which is stress. So, yeah, there you go. we never talk about stress, do we? Um, no. Fear and stress are external. So you might experience fear if you're driving on the highway and a truck cuts you off and you slam on the brakes, right? Your body is responding. That is fear. You might experience stress when your boss comes up to you on a Friday afternoon and is like, hey, gonna need you to stay late. And by the way, can you write a memo? Whoa. They place right an external expectation on you. Anxiety is the reaction to that. Ah, and okay. anxiety can be feelings triggered by past events or by a fear of the future. And so we may have anxiety if we've had that near miss with the truck, and then we feel like we can't drive on the highway anymore because we're worried that that's going to happen again. So that's that's yep. kind of a helpful way to think about it. You know, I, I, I'm not sure if I'm an achiever, but I'm definitely anxious. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, next week, I'm going to deliver a keynote in front of a few hundred people. The week after, in front of 20,000 people. It could be my 500th speaking engagement. But the night before, I'm anxious. Right before I get on stage, I'm anxious. I'm anxious during the talk. You know, so I found ways to kind of intentionally struggle, but I haven't found ways to not be anxious. 
can you like what are the pitfalls of being an anxious achiever and how can we turn that into you know a way for us to achieve success at work and at home I mean, the thing is, anxiety isn't always bad. It's good that you're anxious, Vala. Like, if you weren't anxious before speaking in front of 20,000 people, no matter how many times you've done it, you might not have as much energy, right? You might not prepare as much. You might sleep through the speech and miss it. And so, I know, right? We need anxiety. That's the thing. We all feel anxiety, and we need anxiety. When anxiety can be a problem is when we're carrying it with us, even when we don't have that speech, when we feel a ton of anxiety before our regular Thursday afternoon staff meeting, and we have a migraine and we're nauseous and we can't concentrate and we can't figure out why, when we can't sleep. Now, it's normal anxiety to not be able to sleep before a big event, but every night is tough. And the whole idea of the anxious achiever is for the many of us out there who always push never stop. Mm. And our anxiety is actually constantly motivating us. It's constantly telling us, if you don't do this, you're going to fail. And if you fail, you're going to lose everything or you're not going to be lovable, right? Sometimes it's messages we've grown up with. Oh God, Sometimes my inner voice just came out. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> you want to talk about anxious achiever, Ray, it's probably two in the morning and Ray is dialed into our uh, 335th episode of Disrupt TV. Uh, we do this every Friday afternoon. And I got to tell you, I'm anxious before. I mean, we just, you are our third extraordinary guest who's going to expand our minds. And, uh, you know, even though we've interviewed over a thousand guests, I still get anxious before we hit the like button because I know I'm in the company of people that have done big things. So it's yeah. like the imposter syndrome kicks in. Like, why is Mara spending her Friday afternoon with us? Like, she's helped presidential candidate. Like, why? You know. So I, you know, I. So again, I'm always trying to control the the the, the angst that I have. But I'm, it's good to hear that that's that's okay. That's okay. Hey, we're getting to our peak performance because of her. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. It's true. A lot of really high achievers, we run hot. We feel more mm -hmm. anxious and often we're anxious because we care, right? And that imposter syndrome yes. actually grows as we become more successful because the stakes are higher. We really want to do well. My big question with anxiety, if you've lived with anxiety all your life and it's your chronic companion or it's new to you because the pandemic really sucked and life is really uncertain right now is, <laughs> is the way that I react to my anxiety serving me or is it harming me and the people I love? Oh, yeah. And I feel like no, that's right. really the deciding question. And when you're feeling burnt out and you can't sleep and it's dragging you down, I think that's time to say, maybe I need to get some help. Maybe this is something that I need to look at and then figure out how I'm going to move forward with my anxiety. Great, great anchoring question. That's yeah. a great No, it's great a good question. point. And, and I think one of the other things is like, you know, I, I mean... I think in any industry, you, you always find that company where they have a ton of underconfident overachievers, right? And it, it's very interesting to watch how they perform, right? Yeah. Because they're always worried about making sure everything is perfect, but they never feel like, you know, they're doing enough, right? Um, how do you, 
And I don't know if it's des- by design these companies are set up this way, but what advice would you give to you know groups or individuals that are this type of employee who who feel like they're not doing enough, right? And and don't doesn't know where the boundaries or the realistic pieces are. I think companies have been exploiting people like us for years because mm. you know when you run on that anxiety of I'm about to get found out. I'm going to face shame. If I mess up this memo, I'm getting fired and I'm going to lose my house, which is what a lot of the people that I interview, actually, those are like the tapes that play and myself included, you get performance. But on the other side, you get extremely high rates of burnout, stress, and poor mental health. You get Mm. people who are frankly sometimes jerks because they're so anxious, they won't give up control, they micromanage, they gatekeep. They don't let other people shine. And you create a workplace that can be really, really anxious. And that's not a way to get people to innovate and feel all the things that Tiffany was talking about and all of the things (laughs) that we've talked about. That's not a way to win. And so companies really have to look at this stuff in a holistic way, not in a, have we got good benefits and do we have a corporate headspace subscription? That's really important. But are we actually creating a culture that rewards people for always being anxious. Yeah, not like the House of Lies and Crystal Bell. If you watch that Showtime show, it's it's it's, it's definitely taking advantage of that. So. Uh, I've had the privilege of um, managing uh, Division One uh, college athletes and semi-pro athletes throughout my career, and these were men and women who, not all of them, but most of them felt they never, they were never doing enough. They were high achieving, high discipline, must exceed expectation, almost chasing perfect perfection. And, um, and, and, and some of them were terrible talents where, you know, you had to <laughs> remind them that you're super talented, but please, you're adding additional stress that's unnecessary to the team dynamic. Um, what advice do you have for folks that are super achievers, always looking to do perfect work uh, in terms of, you know, kind of creating a more balanced approach in terms of how they contribute to the team and the final outcome. Yeah. And the culture around them too. And the culture around them too. I think the question is, why do I always have to be so special? Hmm. Who told me (laughs) I always had to be perfect. Where did these ridiculously high standards come from? <laughs> Can I remind you, Ray and I are immigrants. Uh, so we have immigrant we're, parents. We're families. <laughs> so, you know, look at the script spelling bee. Yeah. I mean, look at the team. Like, that's my, pretty wild. My, right? my mom still, like maybe a month ago, asked me when I'm going back to school to get my doctorate. And I'm like, mom, there's no one that yeah. I care more about you know she's my hero so I'm not saying this in a disparaging way but I, but but I can answer your question of who set those standards <laughs> look you're not alone no, I, I, not. I, I, I call my perfectionist voice mom and I'll be like hi mom <laughs> Hi, mom. Yes, I, I know I'm a fail. I know, mom. I know I could have tried harder. Okay. But that's the great thing about being an adult is that you actually have the choice. Yeah. You can yeah. say, mom, you're amazing. I love you so much, yeah. but I have my own standards now and I'm going to make peace with them. Or you can say, you know what? I like who I am. I mean, a lot of us, we just are anxious. We 
always, always stop. You know, I, 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 I see us as like, we're, we're always moving. It's never enough. And again, my challenge to you is, is that serving you? Right. Is there a time when you could just take a break on a Friday and say, gosh, I had a good week. I, I did some great stuff this week. Like I, I wrote this memo. I've got, I booked this speaking gig. I'm going to see my mom this weekend. Maybe I'll just chill out for a minute. Yeah, that's like awesome. what, what's the cost of that? <laughs> That's, Ray and I are going to say that th about this Friday. We had uh, we we learned from three extraordinary people on the show. By the way, my dad went to college night school at sixty, and at sixty six he earned a doctorate. So I told my mom, I'm going back to school when I'm sixty. So I bought myself some time. You bought yourself some time. <laughs> I bought some right because any other answer, and I would get the same question week after week, month after month. Go ahead, Ray. Oh, no, but it's 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 so true, right? But but there's also this notion of like you know triggers for anxiety. Like I know a lot of high performing people that 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 the phone call from mom might be the trigger for anxiety right <laughs> or it might be just a flashback for some high performance event that they were at before or things like that and, and people do work themselves to death as they don't know how to control anxiety uh, what what can people do to kind of minimize you know the well first identify the triggers that are causing their identity and of course you know figuring out like you know how to minimize those triggers for anxiety or, or work through them so I mean, therapy is an awesome tool. I actually think therapy is the best leadership tool you can invest in because these are the questions you ask and you learn techniques. You know, the thing is, is that our triggers are very unique to all of us and yeah. they could be so small. Like sometimes I find Slack very triggering. I find, <laughs> I find Slack makes me extremely anxious. I, I worked in an environment where Slack was used to shame people regularly. Oh, and well, it's not, it's, it's not the tool, it's how it's being used, right? <laughs> I mean, the Slack bot always telling you that you're missing a message <laughs> and did you use the right emoji? I, I actually think that there's so much and actually data backs this up, like modern work is bad for our mental health. Too much digital communication is bad for our mental health. A lack of work-life boundaries, much less balance is bad for our mental health. And so what I encourage everyone to do is to just start paying attention to how they feel during the workday, how they feel in their body, how their appetite changes, how their breath might get tight in their chest. You know, I tell the story in the book of how every Thursday I had migraines and I was nauseous at our staff oh, no. meeting. And it was actually based on a really shaming event I had in high school. And I kept working through this Thursday meeting and I gave away a lot of power in the process and I really screwed up. And it wasn't until I actually made that connection and thought this Thursday meeting is triggering some old stuff from the past that I can get wow. rid of. Wow. And I need to stop acting this out. You know, so much of what we do at work is we just act out our old SHIT patterns. Yeah. And yeah, patterns. Yeah. And so I think it's incumbent, especially on those of us in leadership positions to really tune in, get in touch and ask ourselves, how am I reacting? Is this serving me and the people around me? And, and, and can I learn some tools to, instead of just acting out my anxiety, whether it's by yelling at someone or micromanaging or eating a Snickers or drinking vodka, <laughs> react in them. Let's go with vodka. Yeah, I, I love I love Snickers and Three Musketeers. Um, uh, we, we briefly touched on the topic of imposter syndrome, and and I think you, you, it, I, the, 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 your response, the, 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 my takeaway 
because you mentioned, well, you have to have some success in order to have imposter syndrome. So, you know, uh, yeah, so, so that was, that, that, that was great reminder that if you do have imposter syndrome, it's probably because you've done something right. You find yourself in a position and, and you, you're wondering, how did I get invited to this party? Uh, so what advice do you have for people that are experiencing imposter syndrome? Because I haven't been able to shake it my whole life. Um, and I'm starting to think maybe that's not a bad thing because, you know, Steve Jobs, stay hungry. You know, it, it kind of keeps you, uh, you know, you plan more. You you, you, you tend to uh, sharpen the saw, as Covey said, you know, so you show up like, in two weeks in front of 20,000 people, well rehearsed and ready to knock it out of the park. Uh, uh, advice, advice for us struggling with imposter syndrome. I mean, at, at some <laughs> level, your imposter syndrome might be a habit. You know, this stuff becomes habitual. I, I call them thought traps. Yeah. So we're anxious, right? And we react and our brain sends us a message and says, you don't belong here, Vala. You're going to really screw this up. They're just waiting for you to screw up. And you internalize that. And then you work really, really hard and you don't screw up. You're awesome. But then the next time you do it, you think, uh-oh, I knew how hard I had to work last time and how bad I had to feel about myself. So I better do that again. And it becomes a habit. And so my challenge to you is, would you really not be as good and hungry if you gave up some of the anxiety? Hmm. And again, that's, that's, a, that's like work we have to do. And, and I also want to say that, you know, for a lot of people, imposter syndrome is very systemic. It's societal. You know, people feel like imposters at work when they are of a different race, gender, identity, ability, whatever, because oftentimes they're not treated like they belong. And so again, companies and managers also need to ask some hard questions. Are, are we making people feel like imposters mm. and what can we do about it? Wow. It's uh, Hey, awesome. we're going to walk in with no fear. The trigger for me was when I went to the website of this event, the banner was, <laughs> Oh, come on, yeah, yeah. And that was like, I saw it. I'm like, Whoa, Whoa. Like the bar is way too high. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I, that was my trigger. By the way, I'm not going to name because I, it's wonderful. It's a good problem to have, but just just yeah. ignore this, man. You'll be fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to be reading Morrow's book. Right? Read the book. Read the book. Yeah, Get right. the book. Read that's the right. book. That's right. That's right. You got to love your anxious self. Yeah, you got to love your anxious self because yeah. look, we all show up, and our brain is our brain, yeah. and there are some things we can do that no one else can do, and there are some things that drag us down, and everyone's like that. And that. the best thing about understanding your mental health is that you can play to your strengths and get help for what's difficult. That's awesome. That's yeah, awesome. no, definitely, definitely Very worth doing. Advice. Get the book Anxious Achiever, Turn Your Biggest Fears into Your Leadership Superpower. Came out April 2023. Get it where books are sold. Thank you so much for being on the show with her. Maura Aarons Mealy, author of The Anxious Achiever. You can follow her on Twitter at Maura, M-O-R-R-A. AM. So thanks a lot. Thank Happy you. Friday. You're awesome. Thank you. Thanks so much. Cheers. Great. Grand slam. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> like, if you wanted an episode on work life and balance and leadership and being, you know, treating employees perfectly, this is the episode to watch. So this was unbelievable. I'm going to ask you in 60 seconds or less to kind of provide a recap of what we just heard. 
Yeah. I mean, look, one of the biggest challenges we have going forward is, is really how we actually manage our resources or work with our resources or more appropriately engage with our resources, which is really employees, right? So that employee experience is really impacting how we actually deliver uh, not just customer experience, but mostly our stakeholder experience. But if we take a look, and that's Tiffany Boba's uh, message there, and I think it's a very important message. But if you look what Prio is talking about, we also are living very, very interesting lives, right? Our work-life balances are out of or out of scale, out of touch with really where modern work is and what modern expectations are. And so I think we have to really rethink how we you know, design those experiences. Uh, but then, of course, you know, at the individual level, right, uh, we really have to actually work on our own capabilities, right, in terms of there are a lot of anxious achievers. And, and really, what do we do to actually leverage the anxiety? Uh, tear it down from a health perspective, or really thinking about like how we use that to our advantage as, as to have it you know, being held hostage to us. So, so I think this is a great episode for everyone listening that that's really trying to improve their self, improve their work environment, and of course, improve their organizations. You're better than chat GPT in terms of summarizing. <laughs> Dude, you put me on the spot every week. I have no idea what the guests are going to be saying. The anxiety is working for me. GPT. Warm GPT. That's wow. Wow. Okay. All right. That was awesome. Uh, and you did it in 60 seconds. Okay. Next week, <laughs> we have Alex Yampolsky, CEO of Security Scorecard. We have Adam Bryant, author of The Leap to Leader, how ambitious managers make to jump to leadership and a Ooh, surprise guest and a surprise guest will announce midweek next week. All right. If it's Friday, it's disrupt TV. Thank you so much for watching and we'll see you next Friday. Thanks everyone. See you guys.